Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of the Orange Report. We had a few technicalities getting everything up and running, but luckily we are back in the saddle. Uh, We're trying out some new software the last few shows, so I apologize, but um, they say it makes the sound better, so I downloaded it, but there's been a few kinks with it, so, um, but everybody says that once we are up and running, the show does sound better, so um, glad you're here. Uh, We got some great guests scheduled, and after a few weeks hiatus, Matt is back with me from Fort Worth. How's it going tonight, Matt? All right, Matt, are you finally with me? I think my so. own. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the hell. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll I'll get with you in just a second, Marshall. Uh, we had some some technical um, a few technical difficulties. I'm trying out some new podcast software, and um, unfortunately, it is not working as as much as I like. My blood pressure is about 400. So, um, so yeah, it worked really the, the first. The first week it, it was terrible. Last week it worked great, but I, I think I figured out what was wrong. It's um it's not uh, interacting well with another um, software that I have on the uh, on the laptop. So I just turned off the other one, and now it looks like it's working. So I think I figured it out. But of course, you know it always happens right at the initial at the end because I test it during the week and it works great. But then right when I get ready to start the show, it starts to have bugs. But I think I've um. I think I have figured it out now, so good. Um, so with that said, everybody, welcome to the Orange Report. I'm definitely going to have to do some editing before I upload the podcast everywhere, but that's okay. For y'all that are listening live, I apologize. Um, but tonight we are going to um, continue our Big 12 preview shows. Um, we've got a couple of great guests joining me in just a second. It's going to be Marshall Weber from Frogs of War. He's been on here before. We're going to talk about TCU. I'm sure he's a lot more excited about the season uh, than most, uh, and probably most of us Texas fans. Obviously, with TCU being ranked anywhere from two to three to four, 
um, depending on which poll or which you know publication you look at. And um, obviously, they're hoping to um, not get snubbed by the playoffs again. And then coming up about 8.35 or so, I've got our good friend Kevin Flaherty from the Shiver. I'm going to talk a little Kansas football, and I'm sure up there in Kansas, they're already looking forward to basketball season because um, we can complain about Texas and our rebuilding path, but boy, David Beatty and Kansas have really got a mess up there. So we'll talk to Kevin, see if there's any positive vibe from the Kansas Jayhawk football program. So with that said, um, Matt's back with me tonight. I'm excited about that. Uh, my blood pressure's still up over the software, but we're going to move forward. It looks like it's working good now. Marshall, I hope you can hear me. What's going on tonight? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me again. It, it is. Um, you know, right when you started to call in, I had my I had my son's laptop open. I was trying to log on there. Mine was acting stupid, but I, I think I finally got it figured out what's going on. I, I, I don't know if I made a mistake or not, but I, as soon as the, the Windows 10 update was available, I went ahead and did the update, and my laptop has really not worked hundred percent since then which I knew that would probably happen because they're working out bugs so I was installing a Windows update right before the show started and then it restarted my computer about six times and then once it started working the the podcast software does not work with this other software I have on my computer so I have to turn it off and boy it just it, it was it was pure meltdown but I'm, I'm glad you're here and I guess my first question is where I want to start um, and I, I know it's probably the easiest question I'm going to ask you is, I guess people in Fort Worth are excited for football season. Oh, you bet. Um, I mean, we're always excited up there. I mean, um, I think you may know this. I mean, I, I mean, I live in Austin. I'm from here. But, you know, going to Fort Worth every other weekend or so, you know, it's always – the spirit is always pretty good, obviously. Um, you know, how 2013 went, it wasn't as much fun going to the games. And, you know, last year um, – you know, more or less a surprise. And then going into this year, yeah, the, it's definitely going to be, um, you know, turned up to 11. So I think we're, we're obviously really excited up here. Well, other other than, uh, you know, winning every game, um, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into in just a second, the specifics. Um, um, I guess, what is the pulse of TCU fans, including yourself, about obviously being snubbed last year? And I, I said this last week um, to some people on the show is after really watching – all of the all of the bowl uh, the, the playoffs the bowl games y'all's dismantling of, of old miss is and i really i really felt before the playoffs started that i i thought tcu should have been in um i thought they were one of the four best teams and then when i saw well, you know, ohio and then when i saw ohio state dismantle uh, you know alabama I thought, well, no, maybe they don't. But then after I saw Florida State, so what I'm saying is, is I think y'all probably would have beaten anybody but Ohio State. Uh, and that would have been a good game. But I think Ohio's death and front seven, uh, you just probably would have ran out of gas as other teams saw. But but so I kind of went back and forth. But I do think TCU is a viable team. And I know you probably think y'all would have beat Ohio State. I would have bet Ohio State to beat it. They were the best team last year, in my opinion. But your thoughts? Um, it's, it's hard to argue with, you know, I mean, Ohio state is so good and, you know, that's what I actually really do love about the playoffs that, yeah, I mean, maybe, um, you know, the, the playoff committee, you know, it was almost, you know, they go in there, they crush Wisconsin in the big 10 championship and, um, they go in there as the four seed and end up winning the national championship, you know, um, urban's urban's option is a little, or, uh, his 
spread offense is a little different than, um, you know, something like Bryles' offense, something that we're not as good at defending. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that doesn't mean to say we can't beat Baylor, but, I mean, you know, Bryles and Baylor can beat just about anybody too. But, um, you know, the thing, I it's kind of a love-hate thing, you know. I love that a, a four-seed team got in there. And, you know, and as you know, if this would have been the BCS formula, then it would have been Alabama and Florida State. And both of those teams Oh, absolutely. It sucks. Game. Terrible. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it's, it's you know, you can't, you can't really look back in anger. You know, you obviously stay kind of mad at it for a day. You go in there to Peach Bowl, uh, New Year's Six Bowl, crushing it, you know, an SEC team, team you know, you kind of go, you know, more or less with your held, held head high. You don't head held high. You don't really get to obviously play for a national championship. You don't get to be in the inaugural playoff, but. You know, the same thing, people are like, oh, you you know, you're going into this season with a target on your back as opposed to a chip on your shoulder. And it's kind of a bit of both. It's like, you know, we got the chip on the shoulder, um, something to prove, because we kind of got snubbed along with Baylor. You can make the argument for sure. And then you also got the target on your back because now you're not, you know, this team that went 4-8 and the season before, you know, you went, you know, you had one loss and you're a, a co-champion for your conference. So, so I mean, we've been up to the Big 12 to – create a narrative like that um but that's where we're at and you know i mean to be honest i wouldn't have it any other way so i mean you know i'd have a national championship last year but if we didn't have that you know things went out you know as good as they could have minus being able to play for national championship and i don't think anybody no, I think, terribly disappointed no, I, think, I think you make a good point about now that now that you you know you've got a resume you you want to you know, you know big time bowl win uh Baylor, I disagree with. They've been, you know, they they haven't taken care of business in the postseason. So, uh, and then I, I had Baylor Baylor people on last week, and of course I got tweeted to. I made them mad, but I don't care. I just told them I didn't think they were, you know, until they play a better non conference, until they play a better non conference record and, and win a bowl game, they really don't have any argument to me. Yeah, TCU, absolutely they did, and and I and I and I, you can go back and pull my tweets from a year ago. I I, I was I was pretty adamant that you know. But, I mean, it is what it is. Well, let's move in this year. And you know what's funny is, is I'm starting to hear the comparison a lot between uh, Patterson and Strong, the way they both develop talent and, and do yeah. some things. And start, you are starting to see some similarities. So I do want to start on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, you lost some very important contributors. And I think that is a question mark. Now, with that said, I think Patterson obviously knows how to coach defense and will, and will find players. But it's still a, you know, if y'all have any question marks, which you don't have many, I do think having to replace five, six guys is a question mark. So tell me about some of the newcomers and what are your thoughts on the defense this year? Yeah, no, I mean that's a that's a great point, and I can't I can't blame you for for asking. I mean, it's definitely um, and nice to be kind of easing the offense. You know, I'll get more to that point in a minute. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard to replace a guy like. Um, you know, guys like Chris Hackett and Sam Carter and Kevin White and Chucky Hunter and obviously the two linebackers, Marcus Mallett and <clears throat> Paul Dawson. Um, you know, I mean, you, you can't lose guys like that. A couple of them are some of my favorite players to ever come to TCU. Um, so you're not only replacing talent, you're replacing just like kind of like a spirit of a defense. Like Sam Carter was probably, you know, he was a great football player, great instinct. Not the fastest guy in the world, but I mean, he's kind of irreplaceable just mentality wise. So you're losing not only a bunch of leadership, you're losing a bunch of talent on the defensive side of the ball, but 
like you kind of alluded to, it's, it's, you know, Patterson, you know, if one thing is going to work itself out with TCU, it's going to be the defense and, you know, the defensive line will be really strong. We have a great, uh, freshman linebacker named, uh, Mike Freeze out of Graham, which is a little west of Fort Worth. Um, if, you know, you ever go to Possum Kingdom, I'm sure you're familiar with the town. I have a really good, uh, one of the best friends from school, uh, from there. So good town, good kid. Um, and another thing that Patterson stressed in the um, Big 12 media days was that this is the fastest he's ever felt his defense is, especially the linebackers. So, um, you know, as good as Marcus Mallett and Paul Dawson were, is, you know, you look at their, you know, look at their, especially Dawson's 40 time and he's in the, um, you know, in the combine, you know, he's not, not the fastest guy in the world. That doesn't mean he's not fast on the field, but, you know, that the speed that we have now at linebacker is going to transition, I think, well. Um, <clears throat> Derek Kindred is a guy, a safety to keep an eye on. Um, he started every game last year. He played in pretty much every game the year before. Um, he should be faster. Um, he's kind of one of those safeties who, like I was saying with Bryles, we kind of have a, um, an allergy toward Sorry, we kind of have an allergy towards them. And um, if you read a piece by Ian Boyd, who also writes for SB Nation, writes for Inside uh-huh. Texas, I'm sure plenty of people are familiar with him. Um, he wrote a really good piece that you know I'm, you know, mostly agree with. You know, because Patterson kind of treats some safeties like linebackers, and they're kind of almost interchangeable in some ways. You could argue that that speed kind of, um, if you're lacking that speed at safety becomes difficult when you play a team like uh, Baylor, who's going to push their outside guys and run verticals on them. And then their inside receivers are playing a little bit closer to those outside guys. And they're forcing um, a lot of man coverage. And that's kind of where we get in trouble. But I think Kendra's going to be faster this year. We have a guy that I think is going to turn a lot of heads who hasn't played that much, but he's played like enough. And I was rewatching the Ole Miss game, which is kind of something fun to do with your roommates when, you know, nothing else is on. You turn it on at 11.30 and you just kind of put on the Peach Bowl. And I was watching this guy named Denzel Johnson. He's um, going to play safety for us and very fast. And I think he's going to make a real, real big impact. Um, as far as, you know, uh, the corner goes, give out for Anthony Tejada. Um, freshman last year did really, really well. Got only better as the game went on or the season went on. And just, again, watching that Peach Bowl, watching, I kind of kept my eye on him. And Daniel Johnson, and it's just um, it's very promising. But that's not to say that it's not going to be difficult. The transition is going to be a little tough, and going and play in Minnesota your first game, it's definitely going to be a good a good first test, especially as much as Minnesota runs the ball, um, kind of test the linebackers um, early. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. Excited in like a, a kind of a cautious way, but um, like I said, and you said, this is a Gary Patterson defense, and usually is able to um, kind of force it into being something something good so cautiously optimistic about the defense but uh yeah um, yeah i'm gonna let matt jump in here um matt matt's probably got some good questions for you he's actually in tcu's backyard right now he's up in um fort worth but i'll i'll touch on ian real quick yeah i've I've read i've read some of his stuff i've talked to him on twitter i follow him Um, um i do disagree with his his take yesterday on out-of-state recruiting and, and, and those things. I think he kind of uh, misspoke and, and, and stepped into it and, and, and probably got into a little debate with somebody who covers Texas um, that probably knows Texas as good as anybody. And I, I don't think he was going to win 
having that, that argument with that guy. Um, he was arguing with Jason Hending yesterday over, and, um, you know, um, Higdon is, is pretty well connected and knows recruiting and Texas recruiting, and especially Charlie Strong recruiting as much as anybody. So um, he, he kind of misstepped yesterday. But other, other than that, I, I do like his stuff. But, Matt, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I guess, you know, you made a great point, uh, Marshall, earlier about, you know, when, once you've got the target on your back, um, I agree, you know, one thing I really looked for in that Peach Bowl was we've seen it a million times. You know, a team doesn't get the bowl game they wanted. Typically, it seems they kind of mail it in in the bowl game. So what I was really impressed with Patterson and how he had that team ready is they were as focused as I've seen any team in bowl season and just annihilated Ole Miss. Um, but given that, going into 2015, you know, obviously the Minnesota game is, is first on everyone's mind. And then you got that Baylor game at the – towards the end of the year, that's going to be, a, you know, potentially a huge showdown. But is there a game on the schedule that maybe on paper you shouldn't be worried about, but you're worried about? It's a really good question. Um, it's something I've actually been thinking about a lot um, this past like, week or so. Um, you know, like I said, that first Minnesota game is, it, it does like, it scares me a little bit, but, you know, not as much as some of the other games. Um, and lucky for TCU, like a lot of the stuff is about scheduling. Um, I think Texas is going to have a great defense. I'm excited to see what they're going to do on that side of the ball. But I'm sure there's plenty of people on the podcast. And this, and this is not, this is not, a, this is not a dig. And I think it's something we can all agree on is that I don't think by the time that TCU plays them on October 3rd, I know it's the first week in week in October. It may not be the third, but um, in Fort Worth, I just I don't think Texas's offense can have any sort of real identity by then. Um, that's not really a shot. That's just kind of the way it is. You know, well, I'm, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to make a prediction on the offense. I feel confident that we may have more than 59 yards. Other than that, I'm not predicting anything, but go ahead. You know, they, may, ahead. you know, they may, the, the defense may keep TCU uh, in check, um, you know, for the first quarter, the first half, but, you know, after a while um, in Oklahoma state learned this um, last year, it's, you know, you can have so much talent in your defense, but if they're on the field 70% of the time, they're just going to get tired. And as fast as our offense runs, like, it's just kind of a bad formula, you know, no matter how good your defense is. So, you know, I was thinking about this, you know, going through the October schedule. The Tech game in September kind of worries me just because I don't like playing in Lubbock. But, again, that's a scheduling thing. Um, you know, that's a, that's a scheduling thing. And, uh, sorry, there's, like, bugs outside. Um you know, you're playing them as early and they won't have anything too potent, I think, on defense by that point, unless we just go out there and lay a fat egg. Um, I think we'll do fine through the through the October schedule. We play uh, West Virginia on a Friday at home, which is a blackout game the weekend of Halloween. I don't, you know, a lot of question marks for West Virginia, much less playing a, you know, a blackout environment on a Friday in Fort Worth. But then you get to the November stuff, and that's when it gets, like, really tricky. That's when you got Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and then Baylor. And a lot of people are really high on Oklahoma State right now. And I may not see completely on that, but that's a game you're going to play in Stillwater in the cold uh, right before you play two really big games against Oklahoma and Baylor. Um, you know, Mason Rudolph, I think, uh, could be really good. I still think he's got a little bit to show everybody. But, I mean, by then, their defense, their offense will be better than last year. And, as good as as much talent they have on defense, that could be a recipe for uh, for disaster. That could be the 
if you know, we had a game last year against Kansas about the same time that first week in November, and we just kind of nearly lost. And that's it's a dangerous weekend, especially when you got a big game against Oklahoma and a game that I know that everybody, including Patterson, has in the back of their mind. Black Friday against Baylor. So yeah, kind of a long-winded answer to your question. Oklahoma State does scare me. Um, that's probably the one as far as just like ones that maybe not everybody's. Uh, I, I mean, there's probably a significant amount of people thinking that maybe that is a trap game for TCU, but also think that Patterson plays um, plays uh, Stoops really well. The first year in, became you know play from tying the game up, possibly winning. There's some questionable calls in that game, and the, the year after, um, where right, I don't think we had 20 yards of offense in the first half, we still almost found a way to kind of keep it competitive. So Oklahoma, even though you're playing in Norman, I mean, I still think. You know, they can get that, all their, you know, whatever in order before then. But, yeah, that first game in Stillwater, especially with those two games, the Baylor and the Oklahoma game on the horizon, scares me. So, it's kind of a long-winded answer. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think I think by that point, Oklahoma State, if they are, is the dark horse that everyone says they are, by November, that should, you know, be in full full throttle. So, that, that does scare me. Well, yeah, speaking speaking from experience, obviously, you know, going back to 2005 with us, if you go back and watch any of those games, uh, you know, as good as that team was, you know, Vince Young or, you know, somebody had to step up and make a play. And actually it was, you know, out, you know, in, in, against against Oklahoma State, obviously, was, was, you know, we got out slow. And then you look at 2008, the game that really cost us for playing for the national championship was out in Lubbock you know, a late flute thing. And then 2009, obviously, we kicked the field goal in the, in the big at the end of the game in the Big 12 championship, had a bad game. Nebraska played great, snuck out. So, you know, looking at it, and if you go back and look at any anybody's season, Alabama, Notre Dame a few years ago when they got the national championship, even when USC was great, they, you know, they had to win some late. There's going to be at least one, probably two games that on paper you should win by three or four touchdowns that you're going to come out there and be sloppy. The other going to, uh, you know, just play above their heads and you're going to jump out 13. The other team's going to jump out 10, 12, 13, nothing. You're going to be up against it. And, and a championship team is going to call back. And sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. So there's going to be a game. It's just inevitable. I mean, even looking at last year, who would have thought as good as Ohio State was the Virginia Tech. So there's always, there's always that one. So it, it, it is what it is. That's why we love college football so much. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely always, uh, you, no matter how good you are, like you said, you, you hit it right on the nail on the head. I mean, you always have kind of a uh, lay an egg game. I mean, Texas, when they had Vince Young, you know, that A&M game was floppy. You know, you and it just, it's kind of a testament to how ready you are, I guess, for a national championship is that, yeah, you can have a sloppy game, but it's kind of coming out of that sloppy game that kind of separates you from, you know, championship versus playing in the Cotton Bowl or something. Yeah. So. Now let me ask you this about 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 Boykin. You know, and I, and I know we're we're you know it's been so you know we're in the fall camp. People are practicing, and I, and I have to tell you, uh, you know, based on his numbers last year, he has to be in at least the Heisman conversation. And honestly, I'm a little surprised that I I, I haven't seen the the PR media hype coming out. Forward. I figured they would have a whole campaign put together for him. And obviously, if he gets in that conversation and plays well, it obviously helps with the potential playoff conversation. So so what what are your thoughts on Boykin and, and a Heisman candidate? You know, I mean, I've always been 
in the Boykin camp. I mean, all the time. I just think the whole time I'm saying he just needs an offensive line, and we get two coordinators like Sonny Cumbie and um, Doug Meacham, and then it just you know it just, he just goes off. Um, you know, I mean, he's been on he was on that seasonal cover of um, of ESPN, the college preview, which cover yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just I'm pretty sure it's just college football. I mean, I have it. I've read through it. I can't can't remember if there's anything non-football in there, but it's something that's on the stand till November, so I guess it would uh, – I think it's just college football, but he's on the most recent Sports Illustrated, which I have. So he's getting a couple covers here and there. Um, you know, the focus is on him. I think he's still the biggest odds, at least in a couple of them, that he's still the uh, the favorite to win. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of – it's kind of a testament. Um, and like you're saying, Gary – and Charlie Strong have a lot of similarities. You know, they're not – they know how good they're – you know, you know, uh, I'm trying – Gary knows how good Boykin is, and, and everybody knows, you know, in Fort Worth how good he is. But, like, Boykin's uh, interviews at Big 12, uh, the Big 12 media days, you know, he, he never really talks about himself. He talks about his teammates. And you have to understand these guys – I mean, this is, this is our fourth year now in Big 12. I mean, these guys, especially guys who play since they were freshmen, this is their kind of – you know, they, they've seen what it's like. They've seen what it's like to come in there, be lose a quarterback your first year in and still be kind of competitive. Then they saw the next year, just what a dumpy season you could have. And then they come in the next year, come a hair away from a national championship and kind of get left out. So this isn't about Boykin. This isn't about, despite, you know, how great his journey has been from taking over when Paha had his uh, DUI and got a little snow blind in a McDonald's parking lot that he uh, – you know, he filled in those shoes. He lost Iowa State that first game in, but he beat Baylor. Um, and he just really took on the reins of the team. And ever since then, you know, he's he's kind of been like, you know, the spirit of the team, especially the offense. And he's done everything that's really ever been asked of him, receiver, running back. And now he got to do what he wanted to do the whole time last year, playing quarterback. But still, it's still like a team thing. Boykin's not going to be out there talking about himself. It's just, you know. I mean, so many steps, you know, it's just one game at a time. Speaking of Meacham at the, the TCU alumni thing in Austin, I was just curious because, you know, how good of an offensive mind he is. You know, Cumbie's, Cumbie, you know, does do some of the play design, but it's mostly it's mostly Meacham. Cumbie's more the quarterback whisperer. You know, it's like you think about two, three games ahead. He's like, no, we don't even focus on the other team. It's like we just go out there and do our own thing. Um, so it's it's a cohesive unit. It's a unit that's not – dependent solely on Boykin. It's dependent on all of them working together. And that's kind of the spirit of the offense. And now that you have kind of not only a great minded defense, but two really good ones at offense too, it's, it's kind of all working together. But, you know, like you've seen, saw in 2013, if maybe one thing isn't working, your quarterback is a little, you know, with Paul's situation the way it was in 2013. If you have any sort of disruption um, that it can kind of make your whole team fall apart. So, I don't think Boykin's – he's trying to limit himself from distraction, basically, and just they're just taking it one game at a time. And, you know, come come at the end of the season, if we beat Baylor and we're undefeated, and Boykin's in New York, I mean, I mean, Gary might fly the plane himself in Manhattan, Boykin for Heisman. But it's a long way to go to get there. Um, I think we definitely can do it. It's just kind of a matter of taking game by game and trying to avoid those those kind of trap games we were talking about a little earlier. So – it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I mean, it's it's very exciting. Yeah, before I let you go, there's a particular. Wrong. Go ahead. Yeah, I said uh, before I let you go, there's a particular player I want to talk about. Um, he was a very heralded, you know, recruit, 
didn't work out at his previous place. He, you know, transferred to TCU and he started getting some action last year, obviously, when uh, B.J. Catalan was injured. And I'm talking about the yeah. young man, Aaron Green. He's a, he's a senior now. Obviously, with y'all going to the spread, I think, I think the offense suits him well. Kind of, kind of speak on Aaron Green because I, I was always a fan of his in high school, and he's probably a name people remember. But you know, obviously, you know, with the transfer having to sit out a year, he hasn't really emerged. But I think he's got a chance this year, just because y'all got ten starters back. He's got Boykin, you know, a lot of weapons around him. This could really be a big year for Green. Sure, I mean, this is you know, it's a great. I'll talk about Aaron Green anytime. You know, you're right. He's a guy who went to Nebraska. He's out of San Antonio. He's a five-star recruit I think in just about all of the sites he may have been a four-star in one of them but um just insane amount amount of talent he's just go back and watch his Kansas State highlights and the cuts he was making that game you know Mm -hmm. he's you know like I said a little bit earlier I mean he's just on the same page as those guys just like this is about the team um you know he fills in full-time for BJ Catalan once he goes out against West Virginia and then he just you would have thought he'd been the start of the whole season. Um, I think he ended up with about like 700 yards. Uh, just a tremendous player, a tremendous athlete. And that that's kind of the luxury. I, I don't know. If, maybe, yeah, luxury is probably the right word. You know, all the focus is on Boykin. Some of the questions are on, uh, you know, questioning whether or not these you can bounce back on defense. But the great part about, you know, being a fan, is just like a couple years ago, I would, you could have had an hour conversation about Aaron Green. Like, oh, well, it, you know, the quarterback situation may have been in the air, but we have this guy named Aaron Green. If he can get 100 yards, 120 yards a game, you know, we can win nine, ten games. You know, we with our kicker, with our punter, you know, we can make it to where we may not blow teams out, but we'll keep it competitive. And, and, and unfortunately for Aaron Green, he has to stand a little bit in Boykin's shadow. But, you know, that's, again, kind of a, a luxury you have this season. But you not only have him, you have Kyle Hicks, you have Travoris Johnson, you have another guy named Sean Nixon, Nobody really talks about TC's running game that much, especially people who aren't named Aaron Green. But that is a such an advantage for TCU. Uh, he, he doesn't like to be called it, but Travor Johnson is a big, just power back, somebody who I would really like to see play more in the red zone. Um, you know, he had one score against Baylor, I think, possibly two. I try to, like, avoid rewatching or receiving anything about that game. But, you know, I remember watching it live and be like, just give him the ball when you're in the red zone because – he kept trying to throw all these fades to Doxon, and that didn't really work. And then we gave it to him, Mr. Boris Johnson. He, uh, he, uh, you know, he scored. But I mean, the running game as a whole, and especially Aaron Green anchoring it, is definitely a strength and definitely something that, you know, will keep TCU balanced. And you know, like, like I said, the focus is on Boykin. But I mean, there's there's plenty back there, you know, running back to really just kind of even things out. And you got plenty of good receivers. And I mean. And this is what I was going to kind of would all end on is that, you know, with all the transition to defense, you know, the offense is experienced and like as good as it is, as good as it ended on last season, that this team's going to come out and they're not going to miss a step, if not be better. And so, yeah, we may give up more points next year, but, you know, we were scoring 46, 47 last year. I think it could be more this year. So if you can find a team that can score upwards of 50 with us, you know, that's when you're going to get in trouble. But I think that's what gives me a lot of confidence in this team this year is just knowing how fast and knowing how much we can score. And that's not being necessarily overconfident because I know our defense has plenty of work to do. But, like, you know, TCU could be in a poor letdown season. Well, 
I know that this offense can score. I know that we really only lost David Porter on the offense last year, who was a really good receiver, but I mean, definitely somebody that can just, we, I mean, and here's another, sorry, I only know one more thing. A thing we didn't have in 2012, 2013 was depth. And we have so much of that, not only running back, but obviously you have Boykin and then you have, uh, you know, fine quarter. I don't think we're going to need another quarterback this year, you know, knock on wood. But, um, yeah, so much depth of receiver. I mean, there's so many guys. Emmanuel Porter, that's somebody nobody really talks about who's could just have an explosive season. So, uh, you got depth everywhere on offense, and I think that's what's going to keep, keep, keep it moving in Fort Worth. Yeah. Well, all right, Marshall, I appreciate you. Um, I definitely thank you for coming on. Uh, some input into TCU. Good luck this season. But before you go, um, definitely tell our listeners um, where they can find you on Twitter or find you on y'all's site. Um, go ahead and give yeah. yourself a shout out there. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, on uh, the website, we're just we're uh, Frogs to War, Frogs, and then O apostrophe War. It's SB Nation's TCU site. Got a lot of good stuff coming this fall. Hopefully, a uh, good weekly podcast that we're really excited to do. Um, and then, yeah, cool. I'm on Twitter. Uh, yeah, and then follow us on Twitter at, at uh, Frogs of War. And then I, myself, on Twitter at uh, Marsh, uh, M-A-U-5. It's my old, my old Marsh, Mal, Marsh Mouse. It's my old uh, Xbox Live name I used in college, and I put it as my Twitter, and I just haven't really had the heart to change it. So, yeah, we are both of those places. and um, But, yeah, I mean, I would love to do a little discussion maybe maybe before that October 3rd game. Go a little more, get a little more detail with it. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Well, I sure appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'll definitely be in touch, man. Good luck. We'll holler at you. Awesome, thank you. Always a pleasure to be on. Take care. All right, man. All right, that's Marshall Weber uh, with Front Four covers TCU for the SB Nation site. Uh, go check them out. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Matt, you can't disagree with anything he said. Coming off eleven and one, big bowl win. Um, the fans in Fort Worth have a, have a lot to be excited about. Uh, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see now. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be the hunt. You know, they're not going to, you know, surprise anybody. Everybody knows what to expect, and they're expected to be good. So it'll be interesting now to see how they react to a different position. So uh, we'll talk about that in just a second because I don't want to leave our next guest um, hanging too long. But um, he's been on the show many times, covers Kansas basketball for the 247 site, theshiver.com. Um, it'll be interesting to get the pulse of, of Kansas because, man, they have had a, a brutal offseason, dismissals. Uh, people have left. I've tried to find depth charts. I probably could not name one player left on their roster. That's why I'm bringing Kevin on. Uh, I don't know what to expect Kansas this year, but without further ado, Kevin, welcome back to the Orange Report. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year for, for Kansas football, but I will say this. I like David Beatty. Uh, he recruits well. Um, they're going to have to be patient because the program is, is at an all-time low. There's no way to sugar. He's got a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been watching Kansas football, you know, for, for pretty much my entire life back, you know, into the into the early 80s. And going to spring practice, I mean, it was just truly jarring to see the lack of depth and the lack of, quote-unquote, first-off-the-bus guys that, that they had on the roster. And, and the numbers are just really low. I mean, you're talking about a roster that now has probably underneath, you know, 60 scholarship players 
So, I mean, not a, not even anywhere close to that 85 scholarship limit. And, and as crazy as it sounds to say, and some people have laughed at me when I've said this, you know, last year's Kansas team that won three games was the highlight of the Turner Gill and Charlie Weiss eras. And what I mean by that is most of Turner Gill's original recruiting class, that was their senior years. And Charlie Weiss went so juco heavy his first season that most of his junior college guys were in their senior years. And so you had a very senior dominated team that went three and nine. And now you're left with a roster that really more than anything is just void of bodies and void of experience. So if you're, if you're David Beatty um, and you, and you come in, I mean, obviously who he knows this coming in. Um, I mean, where, where does he start? I mean, obviously you just have to prepare with what you have, but I mean, with, with scholarship limits, I, you know, I guess you're limited to what 30 a year or, or 35, I guess you can sign. Um, um, he, I mean, he's got his work cut out, but that's where, where he's got to go out and, and get some bodies and obviously probably hit the Juco ranks. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to hit the junior college ranks as hard just because that's, that's a big part of the reason why the roster is in the spot that it is right now is just because of the fact that, there were so many guys that it, it left a gap in sort of the sophomore and junior classes because of all the junior college bodies they took. And I think that he's going to take the time to, to sort of try and build it from the ground up. Where I will, where I do think you'll see a major change, and, and you've probably already seen it, you know, just in terms of what they've done, is I think they're going to take a page out of Bill Snyder's playbook and really hit those walk-ons hard. And, and what I mean by that is, Bill Snyder's staff is probably as good as any in the country in terms of not just signing, you know, the one through 25 scholarship players, but those 10 guys or so that they add as invited walk-ons per class are almost, you know, scholarship guys. Those are guys that they've evaluated really heavily that they've talked to throughout the process. And that's why, you know, it seems like every year you look at the all big 12 team and you see a former walk-on from K-State, on that list and you're just shocked and say, how do they keep doing it? Well, Kansas did a lot of, a lot of similar things in Beatty's first class. You know, they took three offensive linemen who were all six foot four or bigger, 280 pounds or bigger as walk-ons from the Kansas city area. You would hope, you know, ideally that, that maybe one or two of those guys would fill out. They got a, a huge walk-on transfer in Joshua Stanford, who was a freshman all America at Virginia Tech as a wide receiver, and he he had a huge freshman year, had an injury plague sort of sophomore year, and graduate transferred to Kansas, but he's a walk-on. And so you have a guy that had 700 yards receiving two years ago and really was a productive guy who's there as part of your walk-on program. And I think that that's going to be a big part where maybe they're going to try and separate things, especially – you know, as they get that count back up to 85. But even after that, I think that you're going to really see them approach walk-ons, not just as a, okay, we have to have a body here, but rather an, okay, can we go out and get somebody with one of these walk-on spots who's going to have a chance to compete two or three years down the road? Right. And, you know, with David Beatty coming in, obviously, the, you know, the recruiting success, he, he had at A&M and his stint there and, you know, most of the other places. Uh, you know, what, what can we expect from a, from a Kansas offensive standpoint? Are, are they going to be a pure spread team? Um, 
I mean, that seems to be what everybody's doing today. I mean, that's his background. You would assume that's what Kansas is going to run at some point. Yeah, I mean, you, you would expect it to be sort of a pure air raid, but in, in talking to the offensive staff, you know, they've also made it clear that they'd like to have a quarterback who can move around and who can run. And, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, if you could build their ideal quarterback to run their system, who would it be? And I don't think there, there's, actually, there's actually a, a pretty specific guy you can point to, and he's in the state of Texas right now. He's a 2017 recruit. And that's Avery Davis, the quarterback out of Cedar Hill. You know, he's a he's a guy that last year, even playing behind Justin McMillan, who signed with LSU, they still got Davis on the field because of the way that he could use his legs. And he's developing as a passer and did some good things. But I think you're he's already got an offer from Kansas. You're really going to see them push him hard. He came up and visited and camped with the Jayhawks, and he's – He's sort of the guy that you would look for Kansas to try and recruit that type of guy. I think he's, you know, five foot eleven, six foot, a really, really mobile guy, you know, who who can also run their their air raid concepts. I think they'd like to have a, a little bit of both. But yeah, as far as being spread, we'll absolutely be a spread team. And I think one of the indicators of that is they have two really good tight end leftovers from the Charlie Weiss offense one of whom was the number one tight end in the country coming out of high school in Kent Taylor. He signed with Florida originally before transferring to Kansas. And both of those guys, you know, kind of lost weight in the offseason. They were asked to be sort of a bigger slot receiver as opposed to a guy that was going to put his hand on the ground and knock the snot out of people. And so I think you're going to see them in a lot of 11 personnel, a lot of three wide receivers, one tight end with the tight end basically playing you know, a split out or another slot position. Yeah, let's talk about some of the, the freshmen and JUCO kids coming in. I know it's first class. He had 26 kids, um, a couple offensive linemen that enrolled earlier, Will Smith, and then I think Jason Rhodes is the other one. And then obviously a kid that was previously um, committed to Texas under Mac Brown, and then for whatever reason, you know, Charlie uh, decided to go in a different direction. I'm talking about Aaron Garza. You know, that's some guys that I'm familiar with. And now speak on those guys and maybe some others that you expect to, to step in and play early because obviously with all the departure, uh, the, the depth chart's got to be pleasing to a lot of these kids coming in. A lot of them are going to get a chance to play. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's a, a definite pitch for, for Beatty and those guys. And one of the things that he says in pretty much every speech, every tweet or whatever, coaches all have their mottos nowadays. And David Beatty's is earn it. And basically, you know, they, they're trying to tell people, you know, hey, if you've got ability, come in here and prove what you can do, and we can earn our way back to this being the sort of program that wins a lot of games. You know, the, when you talk about Rhodes, he was a guy that, you know, right now their offensive line is kind of a, a moving piece, you know, in terms of they're trying a lot of guys out. He's a guy that has a really good chance to start at guard. He's been working with the ones. Will Smith sat out the spring with the, the remainder of a shoulder injury. And he's another guy, though, that, that could definitely factor in. A guy that Texas fans might be, you know, sort of semi-familiar with is a guy named Keon Kenner. He was a running back from uh, from Little Elm and actually just put up PlayStation numbers in high school. Yeah. And he was somebody yes. that, the Mac, that the Mac Brown staff had targeted as a guy that if he was going to qualify, they were going to go ahead and offer him and get him in. Uh, but but he didn't wind up qualifying, went, wound up going to junior college, produced 
big numbers out there at Navarro, and then uh, and then they got him as an early enrollee. So I would expect Kenner to to be a guy who's going to get a lot of their carries this year and be one of their better running backs. So he's another guy. Somebody else who might not factor in this year, but was kind of an interesting interesting pickup was a six foot four wide receiver out of Hargrave, and that's. Uh, that's Chase Harrell, and Chase Harrell was a player that Beatty was actually considering offering when he was still coaching at Texas A&M with the receivers that they had there. He didn't wind up offering Harrell, but when uh, when he came up to Kansas, you know, he offered him. And Harrell's a six foot four kid. He runs really well. He's raw, but he's somebody that two or three years down the line, you know, you you might pay quite a bit of attention to. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, looking up and down their class there, they did a great job of closing, getting Doris Armstrong from, from Galena North shore was maybe their biggest recruit of that whole class. And then, you know, they were able to just recently in the last couple of days land Galena North shore's quarterback, Michael Long, who they recruited as an athlete. But a lot of people think that he has the potential to be a really high level middle linebacker at the next level. And so they're doing a pretty good job of, of filling the program with with guys who have the attributes to grow into players and have athleticism and things like that. Guys that, you know, their best football is still ahead of them. And obviously when you're coaching at a Kansas or a Kansas State or places like that, you really have to work hard to, to try and find those guys that, that slip through the cracks like that. Yeah. Matt, go ahead and jump in. Yeah, hey, um, I – Earlier, we had our friend Marshall on from TCU, and I asked a question about, you know, obviously they're they're likely to be favored in virtually every game, uh, other than maybe Baylor, depending on how the season goes. But I asked him the question of, you know, is there a game on the schedule or two games on the schedule somewhere where, you know, you guys maybe aren't aren't worried aren't worried about it on paper, but you are worried about it. Unfortunately, with Kansas, I probably have to ask this somewhat the other way around. Is there you know, going into the going into the season, you know, odds of being favorites in conference games are pretty low right now, uh, given what we know. But are there any games you've kind of got circled on the radar where you think you might be able to jump up and uh, surprise some people? I, I think the biggest game, you know, in terms of we'll, we'll you know, maybe gauge here one on, on how this game goes is, you know, the, obviously the first game against, against South Dakota, I mean, that's, that's a very good FBS team or FCS team, excuse me, won nine or 10 games last year. And they, uh, they're a team that, that has a chance to, to knock off Kansas as, as crazy as that sounds. So I think that one's really important, but when you get into conference play and say, okay, can Beatty's group pull any of these out? You have to circle the Iowa state game and Ames, you know, Kansas beat them last year. Iowa state does bring back more than Kansas does last year. Sam Richardson, was injured and did not play in the game against Kansas. And so, you know, that's sort of one of those games where I think, you know, there, there will be a lot on the line. I think Iowa state will be pretty fired up to try and avenge that loss. And and at the same time, I I think that Kansas may, you know, sort of see that is okay. You win that game and it's so early on in conference season, you know, maybe you have a chance to get to two or three wins this season as opposed to one. And, you know, as you know, with the recruiting, you know, that can make all the difference. I mean, if you if you go one and 11, it, it's a lot different than, than approaching a recruit when you're three and nine and can basically say, hey, you know, I know we struggled this year, but look at the bright spots we showed in, 
in games A and B, games that we actually won. And I think that I think that Iowa State game is really the one that that needs to be circled. Also, for for some weird reason, and I haven't been able to figure it out, but Kansas and TCU have played some really close games over the past few years. And I, I don't think that Kansas will play TCU close this season, you know, but at the same time, I do think that that's, that's a game that for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the TCU just doesn't take Kansas seriously or, or what the deal is. That's a, that's a game that's been kind of fascinating to watch last year. TCU won 34 to 30 in a game that KU was winning in the third quarter. Yeah. And y'all were, I think at one point had a, a 10, 13 point lead. I mean, it, the upset alert yeah. was in full effect and it would have been a, and it, and it would have been a stunner. Well, Kevin, I know I can't have you on unless I have a few basketball questions and I guess in, in Texas's world in the, in the off season, the big splash was, was Shaka smart. So, uh, I guess when you when it was confirmed and a done deal, what was your initial reaction to that? And 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 you know, obviously, I think you know I'm biased, but I think it was a great hire, and I think it just um, Big Twelve basketball up. And what are your thoughts? I thought it was a fantastic hire, and and I really thought, you know, maybe the one thing, and you know, I, I'm not trying to blame the previous staff for this, but maybe the one thing that was really missing was sort of that excitement level or juice. You know, you knew, you sort mm-hmm. of knew what you were getting with Rick Barnes, for better or worse. And, and I think Shaka Smart, because of his system, because of the way he is personally and the way that he coaches and, you know, his style of play is really exciting. And, and I think, and, and, you know, Mike, you would have a better idea about this than I would, but you look at, you know, Tom Penders' running horns teams and, and things like that, and I think, for Texas fans to really get into Texas basketball, Texas doesn't just need to be good. I think Texas needs to be exciting. And I think because of that, you know, Shaka Smart was a great hire in that there are a lot of fans that are going to be able to go in, you know, throw throw down their 20 bucks and feel like they got their money's worth when they went to go see Texas play a basketball game. No, I think there's a lot of validity to that. Obviously, back yeah, in the 90s and – when, when, when Penders was there, I mean, yeah, even though, you know, there was going to be some games, you know, that we weren't as good as we wanted to be. But, I mean, at least you knew you'd go in there and watch a 115 to, you know, 90-like game, a lot of offense. Uh, uh, you know, you're right. It was it was exciting. And, and you know, you know Barnes, obviously, it just it, it became – it just became not – unless we were going to get to the Final Four and compete, there was just not enough, like you said, excitement in the game – the day day out – game to to really draw any any excitement and it just became dull and even even with him you know still able there even getting the you know the turners and even you know the durants and, and still able to pull in some big time guys names it just was not fun to watch or even around and like you said yeah winning winning cures a lot of that obviously uh but it's still not it just not as gonna you know it's still got to be exciting and i think at least with smart you know, he may not always have, you know, some great seasons. Um, it depends on how he's recruiting. And I know he's busting his butt and he's out everywhere. So I think he's pretty good. But at least you know it'll be an exciting brand. You know, we're going to score some points. He's going to recruit shooters. So I agree. Yeah, and it's funny because everybody – I actually covered VCU when they knocked off Kansas and it went to the Final Four because that regional was down in San Antonio. And so – Fox Sports basically said, okay, you know, you're down there. Why don't you cover VCU? You know, they, 
they left the the bigger schools for probably the better reporters, if you will. But you know, I, I got to cover VCU over the next few games, and everybody talked about their defense. And don't get me wrong, you know, VCU's defense was very good. It was obvious that they caused problems. I think Markeith Morris had like eight turnovers in that game. But at the exact same time, the thing I was most impressed with was their offense was really firing at a high level. And they had a lot of penetrating pitch stuff. They did a lot of things that that stressed the defense. And it was, you know, it was bombs away. And they used their quickness. They used their skill level. They had a Wake Forest transfer, you know, who was sort of a stretch outside guy and Jamie Skeen, who was really good. They had an awesome backcourt. And I think when you look at the guys that Chaka Smart is going to have access to recruiting both inside the state of Texas and out, I mean, a guy like Kerwin Roach could be just absolute liquid dynamite in Chaka Smart's system. Yes. You talk about his athleticism, the things he can do, the way that he can shoot. And, and you know, he doesn't have – Chaka Smart didn't have access to the Kerwin Roaches at, at VCU. And so, you know, I, I'm pretty fascinated to – to see what they can do. I'm really, really interested to see how the recruiting class shapes up. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting, too, to see how he handles, you know, the offense this first year, just given that you look at some of the pieces, you know, like Cam Ridley and Shaquille Clear, and they aren't, you know, necessarily what you would refer to as typical Shaka Smart big men. And so right. uh, I think uh, I, I think it'll be it'll be a lot of fun to watch. There may be some growing pains, but I also expect Texas to knock off a team or two that maybe people think that they shouldn't. Yeah, I'll tell you, a kid that is, you know is already committed in, in this class, and you know another year left. And um, obviously, I'm really looking forward to next season when he gets on campus. And that's the young kid. Um, man, I, I tell you what, he is just um, – he can just flat out shoot the basketball. It's just going to be exciting, like you say, to see him in a year, Roach, and, and just some guys that can just flat out shoot the basketball, and that's exciting for me. Well, and I thought I thought Eric Davis was just an unbelievable get for them in last year's class. And, and I know that, you know, our guy who, who scouts and evaluates Jerry Meyer felt the same way I did – and that Eric Davis was a guy who's kind of your ideal college recruit, if you will. And what I mean by that is he's not really lacking per se, but at the same time, he's not an elite NBA level athlete. And so that's going to keep him in college. But at the same time, his game, the way that he can score, the way that he can shoot and the things that he can do, you know, he can handle the ball, play a combo guard. He's the type of guy that's going to be in your program three years. So you know, he, he's not a Corey Joseph where you get him for a year and then, you know, you're left wondering what might have been if he was there the next couple of years. Eric Davis is the type of guy who could have some growing pains his first year and be all Big 12 the next two seasons. And he, he's got a chance to really sort of be a special guy at Texas, I think, with the way he can score the basketball. Yep. Well, Kevin, I sure appreciate you coming on, man. You always step up for me, and I am always 100% appreciative um let me know next time you get down to austin uh I'm sure to meet you up and i definitely owe you a few cold ones and i probably owe you some brisket over there at franklin's for sure so let me know my friend oh man you're you're, you're tempting me you're tempting me but uh but thanks a lot mike <laughs> always appreciate it all right buddy i appreciate it before you go though you definitely got to tell our people where they've got you know i know we know we all love the twitter burst so tell them where they can find you 
Sure. Uh, you guys can read my work at, uh, at theshiver.com and sort of throughout the 24-7 universe, as well as on my Twitter account at kflarity247. And, uh, and as always, uh, had a great time. I don't know if you saw it. I did go over .com and I did post a little deal and let your listeners when it was. Um, so, um, I, you know, I'll try to go back on there and post the link. So if they want to listen to it after it, you know, the, uh, after I got to show up on podcast. So I don't know if you saw my post or not. I did. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, man. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Thanks. Uh, Kevin Flaherty from the shiver.com over at the 247 site for Kansas. Um, he's part of the 247 team. They do good work over there. So um, covers Kansas basketball. But obviously, if you want to talk in college football, recruiting of any school, basketball, um, Kevin knows his stuff. Um, he, he's, he's on top of it. Well, Matt, before we get out of here, uh, I definitely have to touch on it. That's the only thing bad about doing an hour. And we got the preview shows. We don't get to, don't get to touch on a lot of our our UT stuff, but um, I, I mean, we do got to touch on a few things before we get out of here. Obviously, um, yesterday, I guess dark Tuesday, as they say, lost a couple kids. Um, um, man, you know, this this college football and recruiting is just crazy business. Um, I, I've gone all over the board on how I was going to, you know, address this tonight, but, you know, obviously, I'm not going to bash kids. I mean, I you know everybody knows that's what not what I'm about, but, um, I do wish, you know, Cecil Cherry and, and Duke Catalan the best. Sometimes things just don't work out. But, man, four days in the camp for Cecil Cherry after, a, a, you know, nine months of, uh, of really talking yourself into a leader. And then all of the, the offseason reports that he was leading the team in workouts, um, you know, maybe one day we'll get the story. Um, you know, basically everybody said he was homesick. That was a small percent. I mean, what we do know is his dad was real involved. His dad never wanted him to go to um, Texas. Uh, obviously, when camp opened, uh, Malik Jefferson has jumped from about 217 to about 240. Uh, the, the middle linebacker position, you know, with Santos being out, the coaches have moved Malik over there. He may stay there. He moved, may move outside. So I think Cherry had false pretenses that he was just going to come yes and be the day one starter well we know is strong that's just not reality um obviously wheeler freeman some of the other guys true freshmen stepping up and some other guys you know competition um strong developing people um he was starting to get a little buried on the depth chart his dad got in his ear and said see i told you that was not the place for you it went bad once somebody gets those feelings strong must have felt it quickly too um, signed his papers, released four days down the road. So I guess all we can say is good luck to the kid. Duke Catalan, obviously last year, Landry's red shirt freshman. He's program a year, uh, kind of the same thing. Um, off to a slow start this year. Um, Kirk Johnson comes in, Foreman from last year. Um, some of you know Chris Warren. Uh, Strong has recruited a, a different type of alpha male. I mean, you just read the reports and hear what's going on in camp. These guys are getting in fights with the senior day. These freshmen are a, a, a different breed, what we've all been wanting to see uh, for many years. And that's what Strong has brought in to change the culture. And I think we are finally 100% seeing it. Now, does that mean we're going to win 10 football games this year? Probably not. But we're building that foundation. When these guys are going to be juniors and seniors, you're going to have something special because they – 
they take this football. They're not just on the team. They're football players first. And so uh, you're seeing a lot of these Mac Brown guys, uh, you know, even though Catalong stayed on with Strong, he was originally a Mac Brown recruit. And, you know, there was some word that he really didn't like to practice much. Well, that's not going to go well with Strong. So, uh, you know, everybody's freaking giving Texas a hard time, the national – the national press, the, the hand ringers, the, the fire breathers. Oh, Strong is not connecting with the players. No, he's connecting with the players he wants to connect with, the ones that are taking over the program. He's weeding out dead weight, and, and that's just the way it's got to be. We still got some. We've got a roster. We've been saying that. It's part of the deal. There's going to be some more. Get ready. There's going to be some receivers because you're getting ready to have John Burke step in and start. You're getting ready to have another freshman or two starting at wide receiver probably by about three games in. So if you can't handle attrition and people getting run off, you may want to find a new team because that's what they are, Matt. Your thoughts? Yeah, I had to laugh because, uh, you know, I think it was three weeks ago or so on this show we were talking about recruiting for a minute. And I mentioned the fact that I was kind of impressed with what we've heard from recruits coming in because it really seems like they're they're doing their homework and, you know, they're asking tough questions of programs and stuff like that and making informed decisions. And then, I mean, my, you know, Cherry, you know, whatever caused the departure early, you know, that's fine. But it just makes you go back and say, you know, if you were able to discover within four days that it wasn't a good fit, I mean, how in the world do you not discover that during the spring during the, or during the winter, during the recruiting period? And before you sign your name, you know, on the dotted line, because, you know, regardless of how soon you leave, you just, you just lost, uh, you just lost a lot of time. You're a year behind now, uh, of all your classmates. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate. I mean, it just goes through it. When we complain about all these players, you know, taking a long time to make a decision and, you know, decommitting and recommitting other places. I mean, that's part of why they're doing it because they're trying to find where they're going to fit, you know, for many reasons, whether it's the culture of the city they want to live in or the school or the big school, small school, coaching staff, you know, style, the roster, all these things that come into play to, you know, the value of the education, hopefully. Uh, but that's why you go and make those decisions and take them seriously because yeah, you can bail after four days, but man, you're doing your entire career a big disservice. I mean, obviously once you decide you're not going to going to fit, I guess, you know, might as well leave now rather than sit around and do nothing for a year. But it's just unfortunate. I mean, the Catalan thing, I mean, I guess the reason why people freaked out is that two happened in the same day virtually or were announced the same day. But the Catalan thing happens all the time at every program. You always have the guy that, you know, red shirts and then sees the writing on the wall that he's probably not going to see the field a whole lot. Uh, and then, you know, transfer somewhere where maybe he can get some playing time, which, you know, I think if we're going to lose people at linebacker and running back, uh, I'll accept that versus last year's uh, apocalypse on the offensive line where we couldn't afford to lose anybody. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been saying it now, like 18, 19 months in or, you know, whatever he is. I mean, saying it on this show, pretty consistent that uh, strong. I mean, you can just go back and look at his comments last year. Um, he, he was not in love with this roster. Um, and he does not like the current players on, on the team. And, and he is going to turn this roster um, as quick as possible. And you're going to see that this year. It's going to be a major youth. Now, is he going to hand these freshmen starting position? No. But a lot of them are going to be playing. And, and I mean, it was obvious in, in the opening practice, you know, press 
It's all the coaches said. They called the juniors and the upperclassmen in, and they said, if you're tied with a freshman, the freshman's going to play. Because if you're a junior or senior or an upperclassman, you need to be way ahead. So if you're tied with them coming out of camp, they're playing, you're sitting. So, I mean, the writing is on the wall. How many how, how many Texas fans how many Texas fans fell out of their chair when they read that quote because I almost did I mean talk about a 180 degree departure from what we used to hear well yeah there's no spilt blood and low I mean there's none of that you know you're you've sat here and you've showed up and you've sat around for five years so now you're starting but you're 18 years old coming out of high school you're, you've got to wait your turn but no yeah it's a it's a million percent different and that and and, and, and that's what I'm saying and that is rubbing and you know what? They're, you know, these national fine bonds and all these, you know, yahoos are saying that, that he's not connecting with players. Well, you know what? Strong probably isn't connecting with a third-year or fourth-year um, player that was recruited under Mac Brown who was sitting on the country club eating snow cones and slushies and cookies. He's probably not connecting with that player. He, you're absolutely correct. He is not connected with that. It's a, it's a different deal. Now, does that mean in three or four years Strong won't be fired if he doesn't win more? I don't know. The out, the outcome is TBD to be determined. I mean, we don't know what it's going to go. But what, the, the thing that's got me so damn frustrated with the whole thing is I sat around for two years listening to Texas people get all up in a complete, dadgum, complete crazy tissy about accountability. How we have it, they're not, they're not happy. So you can't have it both ways. I like the accountability. I don't know if it's going to work, but one thing I will say, Strong's doing it his way, and we're going to know in a couple, two or three short years, uh, we're, we're going to have a good idea. So that, that's enough of the accountability. The next topic I want to touch on real quick before we get out, which is a very touchy subject for everybody, it can't be, but it appears Swoops is still way ahead of Herd. I mean, every report, it don't matter which site you go to, the practice reports have been open practices. Um, every day that camp is open, Swoop seem to, seems to be getting further and further ahead. Now, what does that mean? Has Swoop's turned the corner? I don't know. I'll see him in live action the first time he gets punched in the mouth and, and he's got to get up and, and or some fact, throws an interception and see how he reacts to that. Now, with that said, are we willing to give up on Hurd yet? No. Hurd is a red shirt freshman. Let's not let's not forget that. He's got I mean, he hasn't played it down yet. He's probably going to get some live action in some games to see if, 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 if the light bulb can come on. It hasn't yet. It may not come on. We we don't know. But for everybody, all the hand-wringing that, that, you know, Hurd is probably about where he should be. He shouldn't even be – if we had, like, most teams, he wouldn't even be in the quarter conversation, really. He'd be another year or two away from even potentially thinking about starting. So he's probably not ready. That's okay. Now, in two years, if we're having this conversation, the writing will be on the wall. He's probably not going to be the player we ever thought he would be. But let's get to that point. But at least now we've got some true competition. Swoops is, is taking it serious. Um, Merritt, you know, it, it got a scholarship and his own scholarship now. We got Kay Loxley, who I think is a sleeper. People are sleeping on him. I think that kid is going to play for us at quarterback before it's said done. And then obviously we got Shane Bichelle coming in next year, who in all the camps has lit it up, who may be a five-star now before the football season is over. He's definitely a high four-star. He's going to run anywhere. So at least nothing else, we're getting better athletes with better ability at the quarterback position, and it's going to it's gonna work out in the next year or two. And guess what? We're going to have people. So I'm going to – let me let you all know now. Hurd, Swoops, Michelle, Merritt, 
Lasky, somebody else come in, a name we don't know yet, is going to transfer and leave because they're not going to get the play. So just prepare yourself for the meltdown now, giving you a warning. Somebody's <laughs> going to leave. So go ahead and get ready when Hurd or somebody else. And, of course, there was a big rumor the last 24 hours that Hurd had already decided to transfer to SMU. One of the sites killed that rumor today. But needless to say, prepare yourself probably in the next year or two. A quarterback on the roster is probably going to transfer. So, Matt, your thoughts on Swoops? He's probably starting at Notre Dame, and that's where we are. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what you hope is that – I mean, what you'd really hope is that, that Hurd looks good and Swoops just looks better, right? That's your best-case scenario. I'm a little nervous that some of the – very few reports I've been able to read. I've been traveling and busy with work, but, you know, it sounds like Nobody's really come stepping yeah. up and taking the job, right? So, but Swoops, to his credit, is looking okay in practice, um, and I'm fine with that. I mean, he does have experience. I, I mean, to me, I don't, you know, I don't know if that herd thing is worth the, you know, internet it's written on, but that to me would be a disaster because I think, you know, the, the real optimist in me says that last year Swoops had absolutely nobody behind him, so it was Swoops or nobody, right? And I think that. Right. If you're a young player, I mean, that can be, depending on the kind of guy, that can either be a relief and he'll relax and play his, play his game, or it can actually add more pressure because you know there's absolutely no safety net under you. And if you don't perform, the season's going to go in the toilet. Like, you might not win a game, right? If, we don't, if we're starting to walk on quarterback for 10 games last year, I mean, six and seven would have been a dream. So I actually think that maybe if you do have a herd that's, Stays at backup, comes in for a few series here and there, uh, cleans up if we have any, you know, big victories. He's always there in the wings. I mean, that could push Swoops. That could actually maybe Swoops is the kind of guy that needs that pressure uh, to continue to perform. Um, but we're going to find out, right? Because it's one thing we we've so many years for the last, you know, 20 years or so have started off seasons with for the most part, a cupcake to start the year, and we don't know anything after week one. Well, we're going to know a lot about this team after the first quarter in South Bend, uh, and we're going to know a lot about Swoops after the first quarter. And, you know, it's possible that he might come out and play okay but not light the world on fire, and we lose, you know, 34 to 20. And people, of course, are immediately going to start, like you said, the hand-wringing and freaking out because they expected Swoops to put up 42 on Notre Dame and South Bend. But if he's just consistent and okay, I, I'm okay with that. To me, worst case scenario is, you know, an implosion, which we saw like against TCU in Arkansas. If you see an implosion, that proves that either this is the guy he is or we haven't seen development since last year. Then I think the coaching staff has to take a long, hard look and say, look, we, we know what we got with this guy. We don't know what we have with Hurd. Maybe he doesn't look great, but screw it. Let's just roll with him. So to me, that 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 Hurd has to be aware of that scenario as well, and that's why I just can't see him uh, already kind of throwing in the towel on this on this competition because, I mean, and hey, just like uh, Marshall said about TCU, I mean, knock on wood, you know, you how many teams lose their starting quarterback during the season? Uh, so, you know, that's another thing that could come into play. Obviously, it's not anything anybody wants to have happen on any team. But, uh, you know, when you're the backup, you're one snap away. It's no cliche. That's just the truth. So, um, you know, it's exciting and terrifying at the same time because, this year we get a real opponent to start the season, and we're going to know a lot about this team right away. Yeah, probably about six minutes in, the sanity of the Orange Report is going to is going to be determined in the first six minutes of that Notre Dame <laughs> game, I'm sure. So, 
<laughs> hopefully we don't have to have a live hopefully we don't have to have a live podcast from the parking lot in the second half that it's thirty five is nothing. Yeah. Right? That, that's not what yeah, we're yeah, no, I may not be in any any position shape for that anyway. So, um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we'll uh, we'll, we'll actually be in the stadium right now. It's leaning towards uh, sports bar in downtown, but at least I'll be close to the action. So, hopefully, we'll end up getting a ticket. So, yeah, I, I feel confident we'll. I, I will say this: an interesting little note. Um, Alex Dunlap, um, who um, writes for Orange Bloods now, actually is is a pretty good guy. We've had him on here. Um, he's. Re- that um, Wickline shook up the offensive line a little bit today in practice and had Connor Williams, the true freshman, move to left tackle, Flowers at left guard, Doyle at center, the true freshman, Bayhe, starting at right guard, and um, Ken Perkins moved out right tackle. So um, they're trying some different combinations. But again, two true freshmen in the starting offensive line, Williams and Bayhe, which that just you know furthers the, the conversation we had a minute ago that if you're tied with a with a freshman or a redshirt freshman, you're not playing. So the youth movement is in full effect. So I mean, you know, how many true freshmen? I bet when we look up in November, you're going to look across this team and you're going to see a true freshman on the special teams, starting defense, starting offense, and you know if that's what if that's what it is, that's what it is. Because you know, again, you know, I've been critical of strong, but what, but what I will say is. Um, you got to respect the man's ability to identify talent. When you be percent of your first class at Louisville gets drafted, um, he understands football players. And I, I'm going to go back to what he said the opening day uh, of his press conference. He says, what is the number one thing you were look, look for in a recruit? He says, I have to find players that love to ball. Follow-up question being, he says, college football is such a grind today. You have to go to class. You have to get up early. It's hot. You have to lift weights. It becomes the where it is just not fun anymore unless you absolutely love to ball. And, and that's what, you, what you're seeing. with. The, we've got a lot of guys that like being on the team but don't like being football players. They're burnt out. They've been doing it since they were eight, nine years old. It's just not fun to grind. And what you're seeing with the kids he's recruiting, they love to ball. So, it, 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 like you said, I've never heard a quote from a saying, if you're tied, we're starting. Or you would have, I mean, if Matt Brown would have said that, the internet would have would have exploded and shut down for 24 hours. So, I mean, there's just no way he would have ever heard anything like that. So, that's our, that's our quick little UT talk. Uh, we're going to continue our Big 12 preview down teams next week. Uh, let me tell you who we got coming on at 8.05. We're going to talk about Iowa State. We got somebody from the SB Nation site who I think um, has the best name um, of any SB Nation site, um, Wide Right Natty Light. Um, so I love their name. Um, um, I, I the main guy, uh, he hasn't given me the name yet. Who's going to come on, but we are going to have somebody on there. And then obviously – uh, we're going to have Robert Wetzel on at 8.35 talking about the Oklahoma State Cowboys from the Cowboy Rides Free um, SB Nation site. So um, we're going to continue that. And then the following week, we're, uh, we're going to have uh, Daniel on from Reckham 247. And um, I was going to have Jerry McGee. I do want to uh, give a quick tribute. Um, Jerry McGee from Blue Gold Sports, um, passionate West Virginia fan. Um, got to talk to him, uh, you know, a lot. We were in West Virginia up there two years ago. 
on the show many times. I've been on podcast times. Uh, just a, 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 a beyond college football, uh, a really, really good guy. But I, I respect his passion for college football and his passage for West Virginia. He had as much passion. And, I, and I've always said this. I can banner with a lot of people, but I will always respect somebody's passion for the team that they fought as much as I follow UT. So I respect that. But unfortunately, we lost Jerry um, a couple days ago. Um, he was tweeting just hours before his death, but apparently um, at the young age of 35 um, went into cardiac arrest and they were unable to revive him. So my prayers to his family, um, to everybody at the bluegoldsports.com team, uh, you know, just to, to the whole West Virginia people. I know he was well thought of. He had a ton of followers on Twitter. Um, so um, a lot of the Texas people knew him. Um, he posted on some Texas boards, was always respectful. Um, so, Jerry, you'll be missed. Uh, rest in peace, my friend. 35 is way too young. So um, with that said, another person I would like to, to give recognition to, another friend of mine um, I met through message boards several years ago. Um, his real name was Dennis Lawrence. Um, a lot of people knew Dennis. He was um, a Texas cowboy. Um, back in the, 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 the um, late seventies, mid eighties at, at Texas, he's a couple, you know, a little bit older than me. Um, so we had a big, a big gathering, a tribute. Um, he was a long time orange blood poster went by the name of Pocky. Um, a lot of doing, um, about a year ago, he was diagnosed with the mo one of the most rarest forms of cancer. Um, survival rate is almost zero. He went into some trials. The trials were actually working. Um, he was going to be a miracle that was healed, but unfortunately it spread to some other areas and it mutated. Long story short, um, he's passed away um, about six or seven days. Funeral was Saturday, but there are not many other Texas fans that I know that love the University of Texas and the Texas Longhorns sports and everything about Texas, the state of Texas, as much as Dennis did. Um, he was he was true. Um, just loved this state, loved his Longhorns, uh, and, and was just a, a good guy. Uh, the way my connection with him, I met him on, through message boards. He lived here in Houston, Katy. I met him several times. To have, he was a big craft beer guy, so drinking beer is right up my alley and talking to me and him. Could sit. Uh, it was back in, I guess, June. Went to a, a Texas Longhorn happy hour that a guy puts on. Um, and, you know, he was actually doing fairly good. Then he came out. He couldn't drink because he was in the trial, taking a lot of medications. But me and him sat on that couch and literally talked like we were on this podcast for about two hours, nothing but University of Texas and football. And we probably could have went on all night. So, I mean, people that knew Dennis knew that's how he was. He, he would just talk. And, and he was genuine. Um, and also, if you ever needed a ticket to a game, he would give up. Your, his ticket to help you get into a game. He was that kind of guy. And a lot of people don't know, um, he had some of the best tickets at DKR. Under the shade, 50 yards, and I'm not even talking about the suite he had. So, Dennis Lawrence, my friend, Pocky, um, prayers to your family. You are a true Lawrence legend, in my opinion. You're as good as gold, and you will be missed. So, lost two wonderful guys this week. So, remember, to everybody out there, we can get serious, talk about football, but it's important. And, and never forget your family and loved ones because you can get so wrapped up in this and forget sometimes that life truly is really short. Jerry McGee gone at 35, Dennis gone at 55. So very, very young, um, you know, young guys. So unfortunately. So with that said, Matt, 
I know you're going to be out next week, so I'll be on the fort solo. Um, you need to get all this travel, work travel, out of your schedule because we're about three weeks away for some good times. I know, man. It's it's always August. It's crazy, but um, part of that is because I really don't want to be having to travel during the week and then go down to Austin for games because we got tailgates to get ready for. So we'll get this done. If the travel cha- if the travel plans change and I end end up on the ground uh, during the eight to nine thirty uh, window, I'll definitely give you a shout and call in. Um, but otherwise, I know you'll hold it down, and I'll be back with you shortly. Yeah, listeners, where they can ban it. Hey, hey, my Astros pulled the shutout today, so I'm feeling a little better. Um, we're still not we're, – we're starting to tank, but we're not tanking all the way. We're still in the hunt. So go ahead. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That was uh, a bummer. I couldn't even <laughs> – couldn't even watch it at work on my phone because it's blacked out in DFW, which makes no sense. I don't understand why Houston Astros games are blacked out in D- Dallas-Fort Worth, but whatever. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at uh, UT Tailgaters. It's UT Tailgaters, no spaces, no hyphens. I always know it's almost football season because the follower count starts popping up. I've seen some new faces pop up on the account here over the last week or so, and Get ready, buckle up. If the Giants are still in the pennant race uh, in September, we'll be talking Longhorn football number one, Dallas Cowboys football as we head for a Super Bowl championship, and then hopefully uh, the Giants making a run in the postseason. Well, thanks again, listeners. Again, Josh, for the technical issues. I think I have finally um, got it figured out what the issue is, so hopefully that is solved. I'll be sure to... to uh, turn off the proper software and what works with work because um, th- this new Windows 10, not everything allows to work. And like I said, I had another Windows update. So obviously they're getting reports from people from different things. So I think it's a Windows 10 slash new blog talk radio software and then some other podcast stuff I have on my computer that I edit with. So I just don't think they all interact very well together. But with that said, we're going to see you next Wednesday at eight o'clock. We're one week closer. Real college football. We've got NFL preseason, so good things going on. And obviously, the Major League Baseball is getting ready to kick off again with the playoffs. So, pennant chases are in full effect. So, lots of good sports talk. The dog days of summer are over. So, with that said, always remember the eyes of Texas are upon you. Welcome, horns. And one more time for you, Dennis. The eyes of Texas are with you, sir. Hey.